All right, let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that is unchanging, that you were the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that you knew 2020 was coming. You knew everything that would be thrown our way. And Lord, uh, I guess it depends how we look at this, this year in our perspective. It could be the worst year. It could even be the best year. Um, even in the worst of times, even in the midst of our suffering, we see the goodness of you. We see that it, it tests and it strengthens our faith and that ultimately we grow closer to you. So regardless of what's happening, Lord, I pray that you would help us to focus on your word this morning. Lord, as we go through these few verses of just, uh, just how good you are to us, Lord, that you love us, that you care for us, Lord, that you are a living God, that you are alive and you are well. Lord, we thank you for that. So we pray that you would speak to us this morning, Lord. We know that you can, that your Holy Spirit can just, you can make us understand exactly what is needed, what you are getting across in your words here. That they are living, that they are active, that they are powerful, that they are the only words in history that can change a man. And we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so 1 Peter chapter 5. Last week, uh, I hate when people text me while I teach. Last week, Let's start over. First Peter chapter 5. Last week we were in verses 1 through 4. And what we studied last week was, was two things, and really just one thing. It was about the elders of the church. Now we talked about the role of the elders, who they, who they are, what they do, and also our, what we do unto them, right? And, and how they lead us, uh, that we're to be submissive to them. And actually that's what we're going to learn this morning. Um, but the elders, we learned that they had different titles, different names that were interchangeable. And what were some of those names? So we got elder, what else? I love that you guys listen. Pastor, overseer, bishop. There was one other one I can't think of right now. All those names are, are interchangeable. And, you know, we, we hear of different names throughout the Bible. Uh, we hear in different denominations. But, but typically, they have the same role, okay? So we talked about that, who they are, what they do. We talked about the qualifications that they must have, right? We looked at in Timothy, we looked at in Titus, the qualifications that they were to have. And they were good qualifications, whether we're going to be an elder, a pastor, a bishop, a leader within the church, that we should strive for those same type of qualifications, right? That we're, we're a husband of one wife, right? Or a wife of one husband, Right, that we uh, are not given to anger, that we're not given over to wine or alcohol, um, you know, that, that we can lead our homes, right? There's a bunch of different qualifications that we saw that were necessary for one of these elders to take the role that they were called to. We also talked about how one of the qualifications was that there must be a willingness to do it, right? That they weren't to be forced into this position because you don't want somebody in the position of a leadership, especially when it comes to the spiritual, that they are forced into that position and they're doing, they, they don't want to do it, right? Because typically, we've talked about again, that when you guys are forced into doing something that you don't want to do, how well do you do that thing? Not very well, right? So when you are forced to do your chores or you're forced to do your homework or whatever it is, when you want to go against it and you don't want to do it, but you know you have to do it anyways, and you don't do it with the right heart, we don't do it well, right? Like we don't clean the dishes well, we don't care about this or that, but when we want to want to do it, right? And nobody forces us, but we're willing to, 
It gets done with the right heart, which means that it gets done with excellence and it's done well, right? And so for the bishop, for the elder, for the pastor here in these four verses, uh, Peter was, was challenging them in the qualifications that they, they must have a willingness, that they would want to, that there is a calling that they are following because in that they have a, a respect and a love towards God and also towards his people. Right When Peter, and we're going to talk about this this morning, Peter was a guy who was somewhat prideful like all of us, right? We all struggle with pride. And he, he announced to everyone that he would never forsake Jesus and that even if, even if everyone else forsook him, he won it and that he would even be willing to die for him. Now, eventually Peter did, okay? Like he did stick to his words, but not mere moments later, he didn't stick to it. Remember what happened? Well, he denied him three times. You guys remember that story where the rooster crowed after the third time of his denial? Remember the first time that he denied him, he denied him in front of a little girl, right? We're talking about a grown man, a fisherman, a man that loves God, and a little girl comes up to him and, and says, aren't you one of those guys that hangs around Jesus? And it says that he, cur- he cursed her, that, that he's like, and he denied that, no, I do not know who that man is, right? And three times he denied him. But Peter was boastful and he was prideful that, no, I will, I will be the only one that will not, that will not forsake you, Jesus. And then we see the fall that he had. But the point I'm getting at is that later on in John chapter 21, after Jesus' resurrection, he meets Peter and a few of the disciples for breakfast when they were fishing. And in that moment, we see that Jesus restores Peter, that he shows him grace and forgiveness, and he challenges him to take the role of a pastor, to love the people, to willingly love the people. But in the midst of his brokenness and the grace that he received, Peter was the perfect candidate to do that. He had received and experienced the love of God and the the grace of Jesus, that he was able to lead people in the right way, that there was no ill intent, that he wasn't in it for the greed of the money or for the popularity or for even just having a, a, a place of power and, and, and taking over and taking control of something. No, he, now he's leading through humility because of the grace, because of the fall from the pride that Jesus shows him grace. And Jesus challenged him. He said, Peter, do you love me? You remember that? He asked him three times, do you love me? And how many times did Peter deny him? Three times. So three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, you know I do. And what does Jesus say? He says, well, feed my lambs, right? And then he says again, do you love me? Well, yes, Jesus, I do love you. Well, then tend my sheep. And he says, do you, do you love me? The third time. And Peter says, yes, you know, of course I do. And the last time Jesus says, well, then feed my sheep. It was a call for him. It was a restoration to his fallenness, but it was also a call for him to to lead and to pastor and to shepherd the flock of God. We also talked about how when there is a pastor within the congregation, within the church, any type of leader, any type of elder, that they are not the supreme shepherd, correct? Who is that? Because we are all being shepherded by one shepherd, and who is that? Yeah, it's God, it's Jesus, right? We see that in verse 4. In verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, that regardless of who that pastor is, 
popularity, the fame, the power, the prestige, whatever, whatever, that they themselves will also have to bow before Jesus Christ because he is the one true shepherd. But while we're waiting for that time to come, God did align for there to be elders and overseers of God's flock within their own congregations here upon earth. We see that. Let's read it really quick, verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to go through verses 5, 6, and 7. It says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. So he, 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 he relates to them. He says, look, I'm also a fellow elder. He tells them in verse 2 to shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, when I think of like, um, I don't know how much you guys know about cults. You guys fall into that stuff or read anything about it, know anything about it? <laughs> no, with a you cults like a like a cult um you know i think of some of these ones like more of or some of them you, you can't really tell if it's a cult or not i'm trying i'm getting to a point some of them you can't really tell some of them are like okay that's definitely a cult right so there was a cult back like in the 70s and i'm not gonna explain what it is because whatever but to think about those leaders okay i will say do you guys know who jim jones is no he led this cult and i, I can't remember exactly everything that was but he eventually got about a thousand people to join within his cult that he took complete advantage of these people, whether it was a gain for, for money from them or uh, something that he, he wanted uh, sexually or just uh, whatever else, whether it was just the, the recognition. At one point, he got a thousand of these people to drink a juice that killed them all. You guys heard about this one? Yeah. So, but you, you see the power and the control that he had over these people for his own gain, right? I mean, and that, that's like sickening and that's, that's blatantly obvious. And, and that wasn't like a church, okay? Now, this can happen within churches. And so Peter is challenging those who take any type of role over another person to not be like that, to do it willingly, to be led by God, and to not do it for dishonest gain. But he says in verse 3, not being lords over those entrusted to you. Right? Not, not lording it over you, not taking advantage of you, not using people as objects or slaves or trying to gain anything from them. But what we see in the example that we see from Jesus is that if we want to lead, that we don't do it by driving people, Right by taking a whip and going behind them and telling them what to do and, and, and acting like we're better. But as a shepherd, we are to lead them. Right, We get in front of them. We be the example. Jesus says that you have to serve one another. He gave us the prime example of the night before he was crucified that he washed his disciples' feet. Is that lording something over them? No, if anybody could or should, it's Jesus. But he didn't by giving us that example. So for anyone that is in, within a leadership, that, that they are to not lord it over you, but they're to lead, lead and serve by, uh, by being a servant themselves, by hum humbling themselves, taking up their cross, being the least of all and the last of all. And, and that's the goal for somebody that is within 
and not again not lording over because as peter says here that they're entrusted to you that ultimately those who lead are going to be held to a higher standard that they're going to have to take account and that god is going to judge them differently and we see that actually within scriptures that you will be judged differently than somebody who isn't because you've been given this this great responsibility what is the the slogan in spider-man with great responsibility with great power comes great responsibility right well you guys wow if i asked you what like john 3 16 was you'd be like uh <laughs> with with power what is it again with great power comes great responsibility right so exactly so you have we have been entrusted not just with an object not just with a nice fancy car right when if you were given a nice fancy car well not given but you had to watch over it you would do everything to make sure that it didn't get a dent or a scratch you know because you've been entrusted to watch over it in the same not even the same sense but even greater because you're a human being you have more value than a car a car is replaceable right so you've been we've been entrusted with people by god and he says at the end of verse three by being an example to the flock again by being an example that a leader should be willing to do whatever he asks or says right he should be willing to do it and not just willing to do it but actually do it right like there's times where we got to clean up you know somebody poops in the bathroom and we gotta you gotta clean it up right like it's not like i'm too good for that you know that, that if we're doing something that we do it together that you want to just sit on the sideline you know and and you guys get the point i don't keep going verse four and when the chief appear chief, chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away and so when it comes to shepherding the flock first of all we, we talked about everything we just talked about, but second of all, it's not easy. Okay, it's not easy. And with that, God's like, well, you will be rewarded. Okay, you will be rewarded when the time comes. Your reward doesn't come from man, right? Because man rarely sees and recognizes anything you do. And that's good to understand, right, people? When we do something, we don't do it to please others, correct? Because if we live like that, we will only really hurt ourselves and we're trying to gain rec recognition from people. They will never recognize you when they do. It's fleeting and you feel like it's not enough and then you get hurt and you get bummed and you don't want to do what you just did anymore. But we are called not to be men pleasers or people pleasers. We're called to be God pleasers, right? Ultimately, if our goal is to please him, he always notices and he always rewards Right? And it may not be now when you want it, and we're going to talk about that today. It won't be now when you want it, but it will be later. But he always, always notices. And I believe as we, we obey him and we please him, we will sometimes naturally then please others. Right? Not all the time, because typically when we're following after truth, when we stand for truth, we kind of rub people the wrong way because they don't want to hear the truth. So, verse 5. Likewise you younger people okay so now we're getting an exhortation to the younger people in regards to the elders we just talked about last week submit yourselves to your elders yes all of you by uh, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for god resists the proud but gives grace to the humble therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of god that he may exalt you in due time 
casting all your care upon him for he cares for you so final chapter again we've been talking about submission in every single chapter we've talked about submission uh, from christians to the government from christian slaves to masters or christian employees to employers uh, christian wives to their husbands which we saw in first peter 3 and now we're seeing that that christian younger people are to be submissive to the elders now who are the elders again is that old people well i mean that word that word does work <laughs> that word does work elders are old people but if we're going to look at this in context of the elders elders aren't necessarily old people like for instance i'll give you an example i had the role of being an elder within the church when i was like 24 okay so it's and that's you might think that's old i get it okay but that's not like 74 right so it's it's more of just um again the title that is given the word the name elder pastor overseer although i think in this i don't think this is in context i do believe that we as young people should be submissive to those that are older to us now we also understand and we're going to get to it in verse uh, five as well that that doesn't matter that all christians are to be submissive to one to another so regardless of age right so so it's almost even saying later that i should be submissive to who's the youngest in here lydia right i i mean me to be submissive to lydia right and the world might think well that's dumb like first of all you're a guy and you are older than her no she needs to be submissive to you well no the word tells us that we as Christians here in verse 5 that we're all to be submissive to one another right but before he even gets to that main point of okay well we should all do it he singles out younger people that we should be submissive to your elders now again I believe that in context this is talking about the church leadership but it also implies to those that are older than us you know I think we have this mentality when we're younger that we know everything you guys know that you guys believe that you're like i already knew that <laughs> right this this mentality and <laughs> you guys are like don't talk to me about me like that where we have we think we know everything right and that our parents don't know anything Ugh, you're like gosh mom you don't know you don't understand right and it's it's funny because you'll get to the point later when you're older and you're like okay they did understand and then you're going to be doing the same thing to your kids later but we have the mentality that you know we we know it all and with that comes somewhat of a disrespect towards older people uh, towards our parents but again peter is challenging us and exhorting us that as younger people that we should be submissive to our elders again and i think the first place that you can start with is with your parents to be submissive to them listen because if we can't be submissive and we talked about this too a long time ago but if we can't be submissive and honor our parents what makes us think that we will be submissive and honor our teachers our employers uh, our government our spouses later when we have them right it all starts with the first relationship that you are given to honor and respect and be submissive to your parents 
Now, again, when the Bible talks about us as Christians being submissive, regardless of the role, whether it's hus- well, wife to husband, uh, slave to master, or Christian to government, or one to another, when is it the right time to stop being submissive? When it goes against the Word of God. I know you guys know this. When it goes against the Word of God, right? We don't, you don't just be submissive. Let's, let's use me for an example in my role. You don't just do what I say just to be submissive because the Bible says that, okay? Now, if I tell you to do something that goes against the word of God, if I tell you to do something that would cause you to stumble or to sin or to not represent Christ in the way that he's called us to, then you would be disobedient to me, correct? Same thing with your parents. If, you know, if they, I don't know, I can't think of an example right now, but you guys understand that you can stop being submissive And ultimately, what we're going to see here in verse 6 is that we are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God first and foremost. That if we can humble ourselves to God, then we'll be able able to be submissive to other people. So let's keep going. Again, the word submission, just to uh, bring this back up again, it's the Greek word hupotasso. And it means to arrange under, to subordinate, to subject, to obey. Okay, so again, it, it's a military term, and, and I, I know that we don't like the word submission, right? Like, it, it just rubs us the wrong way, but it's not a bad word, and it's not a bad thing to do. It is not a sign of weakness, okay? It is not a sign of that you're, you're not equal to the person that you are submitting to. Because if we think about it, wives are not lesser than husbands, correct? They're equal, they have different roles. Now, a slave is not, or a sl- we don't have slaves today, but let's say an employee is not lesser than an employer, right? Correct? They're both sinners in God's eyes, right? Now, you unto me, I am not greater or better than you, right? We are equal. We're all equal. So it's not a, a submission is not a, okay, well, you're better than this person or they're less than you. We're all equal. It has to do with a type of role, right? And a choice to be submissive and to subject yourself. Now, none of you have been in the military. Now, some of you might have family, uh, parents that have been in the military. And this word is a military term to subject yourself under, right? That if you had somebody above you, right, you would be uh, under that leader, correct? Now, none of us would think that we, we are lesser. It's just the type of role, right? When we think, and we show that same type of respect. Think about it in sports, right? When it comes to your, your coach, we're, we're willing to be submissive to a coach, right? That if he tells me that I can play today, then I play. If he tells me I can't play today, what do I do? You, you sit on the bench, right? You may not like it, but we are submissive to it, and it's a type of role that we have, right? Now, in the non-military use, it's a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, okay? That we are to be submissive first to our elders, but then, again, Peter brings it uh, back to saying, well, we should be submissive to one another. And he says at the end of verse 5 that when we're to be submissive to one another, that we're to be clothed with humility, right? We're to be clothed with humility. And I believe that humility is a demonstration of, by submission. 
Now to be clothed with humility, what does that mean? Well, the phrase be clothed translates a rare word that referred to a slave putting on an apron before serving, even as Jesus did before he washed the disciples' feet, which we saw in John chapter 13. Now, what are some marks of humility? Well, one, it's the willingness to perform the lowest and littlest service for Jesus' sake, right? So whatever that is in our eyes, whatever example we can come up with, whatever we think is probably like the most degrading thing, the littlest thing or the least thing, are we willing to do it? Are we willing to do it? Because that will prove and show our humility. And if we're not willing to, pride steps in and says, no, Jeffrey, you're too good for that. Like, you don't need to be on your hands and knees cleaning the toilets. You know, let, let Elisha do that. He'll do it, right? No, that's, that's not the idea. But that shows and that would prove the type of pride that I have. Or no, I'm too good to do this, or I can't do that. And we're not, we're not saying I'm too good in our heads, but that's the idea that, that we come up with. Uh, another another uh, mark of humility would be um, understanding that we don't have, there's an inability to do anything apart from God, right? That we are not able to do anything apart from God. Another, th- another mark of humility is the willingness to be ignored uh, by men. And Jesus was the perfect example of humility, correct? That Jesus himself, who is God, became a man, right? He, the creator, became the creation, right? A creation that, that fell and disobeyed him. And not, not only did he become one of us, he died on our behalf and not only that but in that time that he was with us that he served us right because it says that the son of man didn't come to be served but what but to serve right that he that jesus was the example that he came to serve now let's look at this humility that jesus had in philippians chapter 2 verses 3 through 5 it says this this is paul speaking He says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Man, if that isn't a challenge for you and I, to not think of ourselves too highly, that the person to my left or to my right, in front of me or behind me, that I should esteem them higher than myself. Whether I know them or not, that I should esteem them higher than myself. But we have to have a lowliness of mind to do that, to have the mind of Christ. You know, and far too often we think, again, of ourselves better than other people, whether it's because of our age, whether it's because of the type of clothes we wear or whatever it is. We have to understand that we are not better than one another and that we should esteem one another. And the example, again, is Jesus Christ. In verse 4, he says, Let each of you... Look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Which Paul goes to talk about that, that, that he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, but that the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Right? That Jesus was willing to become one of us to, uh, to submit and to die on our behalf. Now, it's a good reminder for us that that when we think of ourselves too highly, 
is to really look at God, right? Because we ta- I think we talked about this on a Wednesday night, how we're not to compare to one another. And when we compare to each other, that things don't end up good. Because often what happens is if I compare myself, you know, to Lydia, I'm going to think, you know, well, I'm better than her, right? Or if, or I might be, well, I'm less than her. Like, she's better than me. So one way I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to puff myself up, and the other way I'm just going to be thinking wrongly of myself. So I don't compare myself to other people. I compare myself to Jesus, right? Because he is the example that is set before me, and he himself will reveal to me who I truly am, that I am in need of a Savior. So we have to remember that who we are in God, and we have to realize that all that we have is a gift from God. Again, the, the example that we get of pride, we get from Peter, and I want to read this to you because I just paraphrased it last time, when he was a little bit arrogant and prideful. In Matthew chapter 26, it says in verse 31, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. So again, the night before he was crucified, he's speaking to his disciples, and he says, All of you will be made to stumble. Okay, so imagine you see the 11 disciples are there, speaking to them he says this he says for it is written i will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered but after i've been raised i will go before you to galilee so peter hears this and the humble guy he is he says well yeah well if you say that's going to happen then that's i'm probably going to forsake you right and scatter and run away no peter said this he said to him even if all are made to stumble because of you i will never be made to stumble now we might just think, well, Peter's just a very confident guy. That he maybe he really believes that he's not gonna um, stumble tonight. But listen, <laughs> if Jesus says that you are gonna stumble, then pride goes away and humility comes in, and you realize, well, if Jesus says that about me, then that's true. But no, his pride kicked in. He he went against what Jesus said and said, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter could have just stopped there and be like, okay, if that's what you're saying, okay, I get it. But no, he said, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Again, we saw that he then did exactly what Jesus said he was going to (laughs) do, right? But then we see the beautiful restoration through the, the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. And then after that, he led the church, right? And then he was martyred for his faith, right? So he did live up to this, but not before he fell and not before Jesus had to pick him back up again. Now, when it comes to us being submissive to one to another, which we see in verse five, it's important that we understand that this is, this is what is needed in our relationships. It's what's needed within our church, because if we can't be submissive to one another, right, then the unity and the peace within the church is going to be forsaken. It's going to be gone. So it's important that if we want to have a healthy body, that if we want to have a healthy fellowship, that we're to humble ourselves and be submissive to one another. But before any of that happens, before you can be submissive to me and I could be submissive to you or whatever it is, before we can be submissive to another, in verse 6, Peter says this, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So the first thing that we should do is humble ourselves 
front of God. But first it starts with him, that if I can't humble myself in front of God, then I can't humble myself to you. And he says at the end of verse 6, that the reward is that you will be exalted in due time. Again, we talked about being a people pleaser and we want the recognition. Uh, sometimes when we do something, we want we want the recognition to happen now. We want, you know, the reward now. Um, but that's not always the case. You know, regardless of what, you know, famous YouTube pastor is going to tell you, you know, you're not always going to be rewarded instantly. You know, Jesus does promise rewards, but... 90% of the time, 95% of the time, those rewards happen when, when in eternity, right? They happen when we are with him. The beautiful, incorruptible inheritance that we receive in 1 Peter chapter 1 is when we're with him, right? The, uh, the, the exaltation that we see here is in due time. It's, it's not going to happen now. But we always want things now, now, now. But we have to learn that they're going to come at a later time. And we have to be okay with that. And if we're not okay with that, then that shows the lack of faith that we really have in God. Because if we want to be exalted now, then we, we're not really believing that God will exalt us in due time. That he will not exalt us in due time. If you feel like you have to exalt yourself or no one will exalt you, uh, that might be the case. But you have to humble yourself in Christ and he will exalt you in due time. In verse 7. He says, in doing so, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. This is a great verse, guys. Now, this is a great verse for 2020, right? Since you guys are having a rough year, and you will continue to have hard times in your life, okay? Again, life is not easy. It is very difficult, but it can be beautiful, and it can be hopeful, and it can be joyful, Okay, all because of Jesus, not because of circumstances, right? So it's all about the perspective. So if you're thinking 2020 is the worst year, well, wh what are you gauging a good year on? The, the circumstances and the things in your life, you know, getting this, you know, being able to go to school, having friends, you know, being able to go to restaurants and going to whatever else, you know, things like they were in 2019. Is that your barometer of a good year? Or does it have to do with God himself? Because God hasn't changed, guys. Regardless of the year and the circumstances, regardless of the president that's elected, God hasn't changed and he won't change. So again, it's all about the perspective. But we also know that, that in these hard times that we're not going to be perfect people, we're not going to take everything really well, that there are going to be fears, that there are going to be anxieties, that there are going to be doubts. And God explicitly says here in verse 7 that we're to do something with them. Peter says to cast all your cares, to cast all your cares. Now, what, what does this word care mean? Again, it's fear, it is anxiety. It is the Greek noun merimna, if I'm even saying that right. Anxiety, worry, or care, right? It's to be apprehensive, have anxiety, be concerned. And Jesus, in his time, he, he spoke to his disciples and he taught them something that was very similar in the Sermon on the Mount. When, when, when people were, were listening, they were worried about, you know, well, well what kind of food am, am I going to eat? What type of clothing am I going to wear? How am I going to provide for myself and my family? 
Well, Jesus pointed to the birds and the flowers, and he gave this, them this example in Matthew. Uh, I forget where, what Matthew, what chapter. But in verse 31, it says, Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow wor- will uh, tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't worry. And again, it's an easy thing to say. Well, don't worry. Just trust in God. But by faith, we can actually do that. By faith, we can put this into action. We can put these words into action. That regardless of the circumstance, regardless of what has happened this year, regardless of what has happened in your personal home, that if you have these fears and these anxieties, we know that we don't have to worry, not just for the sake of because Jesus said, don't worry, because we can cast them on God. And when the word cast here is this, this, uh, it literally means to propel something from one place to another or to throw it, right? Like, it's not like, here, you know, come on. It's like, take, take this junk from me, like, and you chuck it at them, right? To propel it forward, to throw it, to remove violently, to eject. That's what this word cast means. So the fears and the anxieties that we have, we, 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 we don't just gently, like, kind of, like, play with them and no like you throw them to God you cast them upon him why what does the word say because he cares for you because he listens because he understands because he can provide what is needed when it comes to your fears and your anxieties that it's it's make sure I say the right thing there's so many things in this world that can slightly help, okay? But ultimately, when it comes to our anxieties and our fears and our depression, you know, the things of this world, whether it's advice or drugs, when I say drugs, I'm talking about like medication um, or whatever else. Those things can help, okay? Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like completely throw them under the rug but the thing that truly truly helps the thing that truly transforms the thing that will will genuinely help you is jesus christ he is the one that we're to cast again our fears and our anxieties and our cares upon because he cares for you because he cares for you again the casting is this rejection but oftentimes with our fears, you know, we like to coddle them. <laughs> like to hold them and snuggle them. And, you know, we think about them. They're always on our mind. You know, we allow them to haunt us. But Peter tells us here, when they come, get rid of them. Throw them at Jesus' feet. You know, I think of my son as a, as a good example for this because recently he's been fearful of just random things. You, you know, when you're young, it's, it's, you know, you are young. But when you're younger... There's just some things that you're not fully understanding of, right? And so uh, recently in the past couple weeks uh, before going to bed, he's been, he's been uh, fearful of some things. And, and the beautiful thing is, is that the, f- the first thing he wants to do and the first thing that he asks 
Whitney and I to do is to pray for him, right? Like, uh, he has this fear of throwing up, okay? It's just this, I don't know what it is. I'm like, bro, you're not throwing up. You just, I, you just ate too much, okay? But you're not going to throw up. But he's got this fear of throwing up. And immediately when that fear comes, the first thing he thinks of is, thinks of is Daddy, can you, can you pray for me that I won't, I won't throw up? Or, Daddy, can you pray for me that I won't have these bad dreams about this or that? Right? And it's, and it's beautiful, and, and it truly helps when, when, and I challenge him to pray for himself, but I also pray for him, or my wife prays for him. And it's something that you and I need to be accustomed to doing, that when the fears and the anxiety hits us, that Peter tells us that we are to cast them. And how do we cast them? Well, through prayer. That we can pray to our God who is living and active and he's listening and he wants to hear you and he can relate to you. We have a God that can relate to us because he has been tempted in every temptation that we have been through. He has gone through the suffering that you are going through and even far greater. In Philippians 4, 6, Paul tells us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. God hears, God answers. But listen, God will not answer if you do not pray. Right? You have not because what? You ask not. Right? I mean, that's, that's, just, that's just simple logic. It's just that, that helps you in just your everyday life. If you want something and you don't have it, well, why don't you ask someone? Maybe they'll give it to you, right? The worst they can say is no. The same thing goes with our prayers to God, that we're to pray and cast our fears on him, that there is nothing that we have to fear except for what? There's one thing that you have to fear, and that's God. Fear God. When we fear God, we're not going to fear anything else. And it's not a fear of God like, you know, spooky, scary type. It's a, it's a reverence. It's a respect towards God. It's knowing that he is a God that, that can, he's got the power to, to crush us. That he can kill the body and the soul. Right? Jesus said, don't be afraid of man who can only kill your body, but be afraid of the one who can kill body and soul. You know, that he has that power. It's not what he wants to do right? Because for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, right? That he died on our behalf, so he's not going to go around trying to kill people, but we have to understand that he has that power, so there is a type of fear that we have towards him. Our Revere Retreat, remember what was our, our theme verse? Ecclesiastes eleven twelve, which was what? Oh my gosh, guys, how many of you went? Just like two of you? Ecclesiastes, it says, Ecclesiastes is a wonderful book. It has a ton of wisdom, and it will show you that this life is meaningless, <laughs> right? But at the end of it all, after all the wisdom, because it comes from Solomon, it's written by Solomon, who is the wisest man on earth, right? He says at the very end, we hear, hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is, this is man's purpose, is to fear God and to obey his commandments, right? Like, your purpose is to fear God and obey him. And again, it's not a spooky, scary type fear. It's a reverence type of fear because of who he is, that we respect him, right? But in the same sense, we can also approach him because he is loving, because he is gracious, and because the Bible tells me in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 that he cares for me. 
that he genuinely cares for me. That he cares for me. That he cares for you. Right? How much does he care? Well, look at this. In Matthew, shoot, again, I don't know the chapter. I think it's Matthew. I don't know. Well, let me read it. It says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you eat, what you drink. I just quoted this earlier. Nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Neither, they neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And think about this in Matthew 10. Jesus says, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. If God cares for a simple sparrow, he says, how much more do I care for you? And that's a common theme that we see throughout the Gospels, that Jesus cares for people, that he loves them, that he is a good father. He says, if, you're, if your father here on earth can give you good gifts, how much more can your heavenly father? He is a God that cares. He's a God that can relate. He's a God that can provide. He's a God that will listen. He says in Matthew chapter 11, this is key for us in casting our burdens and anxieties and fears on him. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, come to me, I will listen and I will help you. The fear and the anxiety that you have, he says, I, I, will, I will one, take that away and we can carry it. That we, you can carry my burden. It is light and it is, my yoke is easy. God cares for you guys. He loves you. And I'll end with this in, Ma in Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 through 4. I love this. This puts it into wonderful perspective. The psalmist says in verse 3, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? When we think, when we put in perspective all that this beautiful world and universe is, that, that there is a creator behind it, and yet God cares for us, that he's mindful of us, that he loves us, that he values you, right? Regardless, again, of how you see yourself and how others may project onto you, that God loves you and he values you. And that he can he, he he even equates us to the pearl of great price you guys remember that analogy that parable that jesus gives us 
that there's this pearl that's hidden in the field, right? And, he's, he's, and, and the guy goes and he buys the entirety of the field. He, he, he buys the whole land because he wants that one pearl, right? That's how Jesus sees you. That Jesus willingly laid down his life to give you life because of his love towards you. And again, a love that didn't really expect anything in return because you have the free will to reject him. But you also have the free will to accept him and to follow him. There's a willingness on your part. So I'll encourage you again, as Peter tells us, that one, we're to humble ourselves into the mighty hand of God, that we're to humble ourselves to our elders, but most importantly, that we're to humble ourselves one to another. But at the same time that we can cast all our fears, our anxieties, our doubts, our worries, we can cast all of that. Again, cast means to, to literally throw it and propel it. We can cast those upon God because he cares for you. So I'll challenge you because I know that, again, we're, we're all going through stuff. Some spoken, some unspoken, some known, some not known. But whatever it is that's happening in your heart, in your mind, or at home, that you, yourself, can approach God with them. That he will hear you, and that he will listen, and that he will do something. He will. But remember, you have to do it. You have to do it. You have not because you ask not. It's as simple as that sometimes. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning and this word. I thank you for the wonderful reminder of just how gracious and majestic you are, Lord. How in comparison to you, we are, we are nothing. And yet you love us. You care for us. Sometimes I can't understand why, but I believe it because you tell us. And so, Lord, for anyone in this room that may be struggling with something, whether it's, it's internal and, and nobody else knows, Lord, I pray that you would put it upon their heart to seek you, knowing that you are a great provider, that you are a wonderful father, or that you tell us that if, if we are heavy burdened, that we can come to you, we can find rest, Lord, that if we have worries and fears and doubts and anxieties, that we can cast them upon you, or that you will take them from us, or that we can find a joy and a peace and a hope within you, or to help the enemy to, to stay away and to not throw doubts, Lord, and, and to just to keep them at bay so that we can, we can cast these things upon you. Lord, help us to be humble, Lord, as we approach you, because you tell us that you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. Lord, I pray that you would humble us so that we can approach you with our, our fears and our doubts. Lord, I thank you for the example that you set for us when it came to your leadership and your shepherding. Lord, the example that you set before us, that we that as sheep should follow, that we should serve one another, that we should esteem one another higher than ourselves us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.